You're listening to the Berkman Audio Fishbowl from the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. Each week, we feature conversations with leading cyber scholars, entrepreneurs, activists, and policymakers as they explore the bleeding edge of the internet and technology, democracy, law, and society. For more information on the Berkman Center and for more programs like this, visit cyber.law.harvard.edu. Uh, we've got a great crew of folks from the Meta Lab here, as well as spread around the room, who are going to be um, sharing their work with us today. Jeffrey Schnapp, uh, who's one of them, is the one of the faculty directors of the Berkman Center, also the faculty director of the Meta Lab, on, and on faculty here at Harvard University. Matthew Battles is the associate director of the Meta Lab. Uh, Pablo Barria is one of the technologists helping with the project, and Caitlin Christian Lamb is also the project manager of this great project around the Curarium, which these folks are going to tell you lots more about. So welcome, guys. Thanks, Omar. Thanks, Omar. So, uh, so I'll start off um, with a little bit of background about about um, the the context in which this project <coughs> emerged, um, and then I'll hand it off to, to Jeffrey uh, to talk about the the kind of ambitions of the project, and and Jeffrey and Pablo will talk about um, the the design um, and and the ways in which we're trying to articulate that ambition through the the, the platform that we're developing. Um, but first, I'd like to invite you all. Um, to visit Metal Lab's uh, facility in um, Florence, Italy. Um, <laughs> I'd like to do that, but I, I can't. Um, this is the Villa Itati, um, which is also the Harvard Center for Italian Renaissance Studies. It was, uh, it's a villa uh, in Florence. Um, those things are true. Uh, it was the home of Bernard Berenson. Um, now, Berenson is best known here in Boston for having served as the kind of guide to uh, collecting art for Isabella Stewart Gardner um, and helped Isabella Stewart Gardner build her collection um, that today is the, uh, the Gardner Museum. Uh, but he was, of course, also um, a pioneering art historian in his own right, um, lived a very long life, um, and collected a, a, a wonderful collection of art of his own, also amassed a, a fantastic library. As is often the case around here, when he passed away, he left all of this to Harvard. And uh, so we are, at least at some remove, the beneficiaries of, 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 uh, of Berenson's largesse. Um, among those collections um, was uh, a, a, a large collection of, of photographs um, that documented missing art. Uh, it's what uh, Berenson referred to as his collection of homeless paintings of the Italian Renaissance. Um, and so these were photographs made of works of art rather early in the history of the use of photography to document art um, around the turn of the last century. Um, some 16,000 photographs um, that, uh, that Berenson amassed of art um, that, for which he didn't have an, a location. He didn't know where these objects uh, were. Um, somebody had photographed them and then they'd gone missing. Now maybe they had been uh, given to somebody or loaned to somebody or sold without a record being kept of the sale. Maybe they'd been stolen. Uh, maybe um, they'd, they'd um, fallen afoul of, of conflict or, or disaster. Um, he didn't know. And, you know, a very interesting and kind of early, uh, uh, if you will, big data venture, um, Berenson amassed this collection specifically uh, with the object of finding some of these works. Um, so, so they sat. I mean, these are glass negatives. They're very difficult objects to work with, 16,000-some of them, um, uh, until a few years ago, uh, the staff of the Villa Itati uh, acquired funding from the Mellon Foundation, uh, which sponsors um, the processing of, of unprocessed collections in libraries and archives, um, to digitize this collection. 
Uh, and their intention was to make this collection open and available um, for the use of researchers, the, for use in teaching, and, and hopefully for finding some of these artworks as well. Notably, as soon as they began to put these artworks, make these um, surrogates of these artworks available, um, they did begin to be found. They began to be found by one young man who's a fascinating story. Um, Chris Daly is his name, and he's now a, a, a graduate student in art history at, I think, Ohio State University, is that right? Um, and he's found some 120 of these works. Is that right? Am I right about that? That's what he claims. Over 120. Um, so Chris Daly is a bit of a savant, um, it turns out. He's got a kind of um, photographic memory, and inspired by Berenson since age nine, he's been making lists of Renaissance artists and their works, and so this suited him very well. But we sort of thought, um, you know, how could we kind of platformize that? How could we make that kind of activity available to more people and, and also explore the other kinds of things that could be done with this kind of collection? And just to indicate some of the stories that can be told out of this collection, which I should say consists mostly of kind of secondary works, kind of minor works, um, but does wonderful work of kind of filling out a picture of um, the production of art in the Italian Renaissance. Um, tells you things about materials, about um, uh, uh, techniques, about associations among artists, so there's a lot of data to, to draw from this collection. So for instance, um, am I on the right one? So yeah. here's, a, here's a painting um, which uh, Berenson went and visited um, uh, a dealer to, to uh, view this painting because the dealer thought it might be a painting by uh, Andrea Mantegna, um, who was a, a well-known artist of the Italian Renaissance, son-in-law of um, uh, 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 Bellini, Jacopo Bellini. Um, and Berenson told the dealer, well, it can't be a Mantegna because Mantegna didn't paint saints like that. The saints don't look like Mantegna. But if the saints weren't there, I would think it's a Mantegna. So as we find um, from an annotation made by Berenson uh, on the back of this <coughs> photograph, he says, seen by B.B. at Sakayans, uh, who, when B.B. told him that the Madonna if she was alone, could pass for Mantegna, painted out the two saints. And, uh, <laughs> and so Berenson managed to get a photograph of the painting before and after. Of course, doing art history on the internet, we can, uh, we can bring it in. Um, uh, so that's, that's it, we're done now. <laughs> now, these 16,500-some-odd images are now available through VIA, which is Harvard's visual information access platform, a, a search uh, tool for, um, uh, for visual resources in the, in the libraries at Harvard. Anybody here help develop VIA? We want to make sure that, that we're in the, in the fine arts library. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a system that's, that's been with us for a long time. Um, it's, it's very useful for, um, uh, you know, for finding and discovering visual resources in, uh, in Harvard collections. There are things that we'd like to be able to do with it, um, and this is, this is just the, the record, pieces of the record um, uh, uh, of, this, of that uh, non-Montagna painting. Um, there are things that we'd like to be able to do with it that we can't. It's very difficult to get images out of VIA. Um, you can make collections um, in VIA portfolios, but it's, it's difficult. I've found it difficult to sort of share those over time and keep, keep track of them, and particularly to be able to do things like annotate these objects, annotate these records, share them with others in sets, build, um, build collections and, and curate those collections with 
um, additional media, with, with documentary material, uh, with annotations that might include um, GIS data or, um, uh, or video or sound. Um, these are all things that we feel like we'd like to do um, with these collections. So we started to think about um, uh, kind of precedents uh, for the kinds of the kind of hybrid work that we want to do. And there are, there are wonderful projects out there. You know, one that I've been excited about for a while is Ancient Lives, which is a project, uh, a citizen science project um, devoted to the humanities. Um, it's, it's a project of a group called Zooniverse, and they have uh, run a number of projects using astronomical data. You may be familiar with them. You can uh, you can join Zooniverse and look at a, 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 a photographic image of like galaxies and annotate where the galaxies are or craters on the moon. You can say how big the craters on the moon are. Well, they they um, and then they they amass all that data and you can do science using the, the, those data. Well, they've tried to adapt this to the humanities as well with this project, which looks at an enormous trove of. Um, uh, of ancient uh, Greek papyri from Oxyrhynchus, which is a, a town in the Upper Nile Valley um, in Egypt. Uh, for more than a century, uh, Oxford University Press has been um, publishing scholarly transcriptions of these, this enormous kind of midden of, of Greek papyri from Oxyrhynchus. They're down to the last several thousand, which are fragmentary and torn, torn up and very, in, in very bad shape. And so with the help of Zooniverse, they've sort of crowdsourced this process. So you can actually, um, you can actually uh, transcribe um, ancient Greek papyri without knowing any ancient Greek. I always find myself saying that, like people want to do that, but it <laughs> tells you something about where I'm coming from. Um, but I think it's pretty cool. I mean, you've got this wonderful little interface that you can indicate uh, what the characters are. And they find that it takes about 20 people on a given fragment to come up with um, a usable transcription. Um, so. You know, there, there's something about that that's very appealing. There's not, there are a lot of things you can't do with that, though. I mean, you can't teach with it. I mean, you could direct your students to it. They could use it, but there aren't data available for finding out what they're doing with it, how they're using it, and, and letting them weave these media into projects of their own. Projects like History Pin um, are maybe better <coughs> examples of that kind of crowd uh, curatorial um, platform for um, integrating media, uh, mapping information um, into stories about um, the arts and humanities. Um, so somewhere on that continuum is where I think we'd like Curarium to fall. Um, Curarium is our um, uh, attempt to build a platform for doing the kinds of things we want to do in the first instance with Bernard Berenson's <laughs> Homeless Paintings collection. But um, as Jeffrey and Pablo will discuss, we hope with many other collections, and among those collections as well. So um, that's what Curarium's splash page looks like. And with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to, to Jeffrey. Yeah, so um, I think as Matthew detailed really nicely, you know, we started with this concrete problem, which we think is a problem that's uh, translatable into the kinds of issues that many different kinds of collections, whether they're collections of documents or collections of objects, or maybe even sound collections uh, uh, raise. Um, and you know, one of the morals of that story is that to simply digitize a collection doesn't really do anything fundamental with respect to how usable a collection is, uh, whether there exists a user community, whether people actually know that it exists. Um, and so Carrarium is really an, an attempt to try create a, a platform that is built with um, the idea of allowing communities uh, that are of uh, a a great variety of characters from 
communities that are associated with educational institutions, to collecting institutions, to members of the general public who, like our friend Chris Daly, may just have a particular fascination with a category of objects for reasons of local history interests, for reasons of personal collecting uh, <clears throat> habits, uh, whatever this, this motivation may be. We, what we thought was really missing was a place where institutions that are building uh, digital collections could um, animate those collections by allowing them to be used in an environment where you can do a multiplicity of things with those collections. I think we're very good at, uh, at assembling collections, but we're not so good generally at making those collections matter. Uh, and this is a particular problem with certain categories of collections, uh, as I probably don't need to tell anybody who's in the museum community in, the, in this room, or in the library community for that matter. Um, there are certain categories of objects that have significant cultural or historical value, uh, but because the objects that make them up are not of sufficient value as individual objects, the universe where there will be funding to process those collections using traditional approaches uh, is probably uh, unlikely to ever come about. Uh, take, for example, the American Memory Project uh, at the Smithsonian. We, we have this tremendous uh, resource, which is, in a sense, the photographic history of the United States. I don't know the total number of photographic objects that make up that collection, but I think it's in the millions in any case. Um, and most of those objects are objects that we, we have a little bit of data about, sometimes location data, sometimes uh, uh, information about the photographer. Uh, the, or the circumstance under which those photographs were produced, like there's a huge collection of WPA-era photographs, uh, maybe sometimes dating information, and that's basically it. And there is no universe where a group of professional archivists will ever be able to process a collection like this. First of all, because the kind of expertise that would be required to actually identify this, these millions of objects um, is unlikely to be uh, in the minds or in the hands of a small group to begin with. Uh, most, most of that knowledge is, is distributed in a multiplicity of communities. Uh, and uh, much of it concerns local history, landscape, uh, uh, city plans, uh, aspects of the material culture of different regions. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, the Library of Congress and the Smithsonian have undertaken a couple of experiments with essentially crowdsourcing some of the processing tasks that um, are connected to those photographic resources. And I think that was one of the many inspirations. Matthew just mentioned a couple that brought us to trying to think about how to build a platform around the Berenson Collection in the first instance, but that would more broadly serve the interests of collecting um, uh, institutions, um, but in a way that would allow people to do things with collections. And by doing things, I really, as I tried to hint with respect to the different user populations we're interested in, I really mean things of the broadest uh, sort. One of the areas we're very interested in is creating an experience not just that allows you to work with individual objects, to collect them, construct narratives of uh, about them, add metadata to them, process them in a sense, contribute in other words to their usefulness, their significance, add meaning to them, but also to work with collections as aggregates because one of the things you cannot do in VIA is see what you're looking at as part of a whole. You, are, you can gain access to an individual object if you know what you're looking for, if you have the proper search criteria, but what you don't see is the relationship between that individual object and the whole family of objects that it belongs to not to mention the relationship between that family of objects and other families of objects, those families we call collections. 
Um, so Carrarium is, an, uh, is, is really an attempt to make collections visible and usable in a way, both as aggregates at the kind of macro level and also at the micro level, uh, to allow people to zoom between those micro and macro levels and to tell stories, essentially. Those stories um, are assume the form of what we're calling spotlights, basically, and um, with Pablo, we'll sort of walk you through the, the sort of wireframes of the site where this, this project should be in a kind of beta phase within a month or so. We're fairly close. We've built the back end. We're still working on the front end designs right now. But what it's meant to do, as, as you will see through these sequence of slides, is to allow that sort of motion between the macro and the micro level to allow for the production of shareable content, publishable content, you might say. Uh, but uh, that, that sort of production pipeline is specifically designed to allow also for this to be a teaching environment and a research environment, uh, to allow, for instance, for curators who might be designing a show, an exhibition, to use Curiarium to essentially what we do now do typically with little Xeroxes. I mean, at least that's what I do when I'm a guest curator. <laughs> little Xeroxes and, and like, uh, like foam board models of a space, like you know, pinning stuff around a space, trying to imagine how to sequence a series of, of objects, uh, the kind of imagine the ways in space that you tell a story. We want Carrarium to be able to accommodate that kind of use, to be able to the, accommodate the Chris Daly's of the world who are in a, an art history classroom and who are be engaged, in the case of the Berenson Archive, with uh, interpreting a corpus of objects that have very little story to them. They are not the images you see in a kind of canonical history of Italian Renaissance art, as Matthew alluded to. These are Many of them are studio objects. They have really funky, complex histories. They were, uh, aside from the angels or saints who may have been erased or added or modified, uh, they often tell very rich, colorful, textured stories about the history of art that are not the conventional stories. So there's a tremendous teaching opportunity there to get away from certain models of historiography that, are, that, that, that only tell stories, in a sense, about a very small corpus of objects, of a very small set of, of themes, if you like. Um, but also to engage broader populations who are interested in some aspect of a collection, whether it's a collection of Italian Renaissance art objects or it's a collection of uh, photographs of the American landscape, um, to uh, tell their own kinds of stories, whether those are stories of local history or uh, that have to do with the uh, ch changes in the environment or um, uh, the shape of a city. Um, so um, th those are the sort of overarching ambitions. And I don't know, Pablo, if you want to just walk people through the, 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 the implementation as we're imagining it right now. And one of the reasons we're here, I just want to underscore, is we're still in the process of building the front end of this. So we're, we not only welcome uh, but, you know, critical and constructive suggestions, but uh, also your thoughts, because uh, in, over the next month or so, we're going to be building what we're sketching out for you here today. <laughs> yes. So uh, as, as Jeffrey was saying, this is this overall system called Curarium has like, it's composed of a series of steps, both in going from the general collection to the particular object, but also how we're getting the collections into this repository. So we're starting with two processes we were calling uh, ingestion, which is basically we are taking records that are already hosted somewhere and what is called the configuration, which basically we're going to be taking records which are all coming from very different sources and they have all their sort of different idiosyncrasies. 
and we kind of want to make them uh, all interoperable in a way and see them in this common platform. So one thing we have to take care of is sort of like how you mine the data from different different record sets. You sort of the next slide sort of the scheme of that. So you what we're working now it's records in JSON. Sorry if I get too technical with this, but in JSON format, and we sort of have a system by which we sort of identify where in that original structure the specific piece of information that we want is, and we sort of save that configuration, and then we proceed to ingest the records. We save the records as they're coming in the original format, and we sort of read them on the fly, and that's how we sort of curate what's working right now. So the first part is sort of like would happen before the user comes to the, the site, sort of a content provider decides he wants to share a collection with Curarium and he goes and he ingests his collection into Curarium. So we host the collection in Curarium and then what you get when you as a user you go to Curarium is this repository of different collections. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then from that, so you move into an, indi an, an individual collection, and this is when things sort of like, this is when you start to interact with the collection as a whole. And the way we're thinking this right now is you would you would see first a very descriptive page of the collection, and in parallel to that, uh, sort of you would see. Um, <laughs> Come back, sorry. Okay. <laughs> you should have rehearsed this. <laughs> Uh, so one of the things we sort of uh, gave a lot of thought of that is how do you re how you represent the, the collection as a whole? Like how do you see the collection as a whole? It turns out like when you have eleven thousand records, eleven thousand thumbnails is not really useful <laughs> and not really readable. So you start by seeing statistics about the collection, how many different <coughs> taggable fields you have, how many different sets sets of data, and then after that you sort of start progressively going into the collection through this data into the uh, the records themselves. So the way we're envisioning the narrative right now is you would go from having just a general st statistics of the collection itself, then for instance the homeless paintings has a topics field where you have saints, women saints, uh, headgear, wands, staffs, bibles, was and those are in in total it's 2000 tags so like just to figure out navigate through that cloud huge cloud of data what you want to, to get out of it what what is of interest to you you sort of need a an interface that lets you navigate that first before you going actually into the collection so we sort of envision this you first goes through query construction of like you first go through a process of Sorting out this data, and then you progressively go into the data itself. You go forward a little yeah. bit. Maybe you reconfigure the collection. That's one of the affordances we might keep, because we're saving these records that are in sort of in their own original uh, format. We might actually reconfigure the collection to suit any specific like research that's being connect conducted in it. And then you would go through an iterative uh, process of just like searching the collection, you would get a subset of records and then you would search of it again and again and again until you get like what you're really interested in. Um, maybe just go, yeah. So this is one thing where we're interested maybe is that you could generate different kinds of data visualization, force graphs, tree maps that help you visualize the collection as a whole. And eventually you will get to the um, record level which is where you sort of annotate things. And that's where the user also 
augments the record in a way. Um, and yeah, it's also important that spotlights, as uh, Jeffrey was mentioning, them is for how we're envisioning this sort of um, authoring tool where you could not only see this record but sort of compose different thoughts of um, pieces with them, be them very simple slideshows or more academic papers or just the sort of have a canvas where you can draw around them, share them, share some notes. Can, can you just leave that on just for a second? Sure. Uh, and, and so one of the points I just want to underscore that's implicit in what Pablo was saying is you'll notice that the aggregate visualizations of collections can be used at the production sort of the editing platform level. So the idea is, is in other words, to augment the range of possibilities for the kinds of ways, the kinds of stories, the kinds of exercises that can be carried out within the platform so that the micro level and the macro level can be closely intertwined. Uh, uh, it isn't just that we go through the macro representation of collections to get to individual objects. It's yeah. kind of a toggleable relationship. And we think that's a really important affordance of working with uh, in a kind of digital platform with collections that um, really adds value and transforms the basic conditions of sort of knowledge sharing and production. Um, so this is essential to, to, to what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Well, and finally, there's a series of uh, affordances to annotate records and to augment them by users. Maybe you uh, identify in the visual representation what all the different tags are, or you sort of add a specific piece of content that's like a write-up that's specific to that record, or you bring information from the outside as a Wikipedia link or something like that. Um, and so those are all the components sort of, of the system right now so like that we have identified for the system as we're envisioning it to work. Uh, and now we this is sort of like a more uh, front-end sort of walkthrough of how we're sort of wireframing right now. So you would, as a user, you would go to Virarium, you would see this, this um, presentation page and you would immediately have like featured content as a convention. Green is a spotlight and blue is a collection. Uh, so a collection which is just like you could you could navigate these different collections, maybe represent them sort of based on how important they are right now, how popular they are or how many records they have. Or you could navigate through different spotlights, uh, which would be basically content that users have generated and made available to the public. And eventually you would see an individual spotlight and be able to read this article and learn more about like a specific theme within that collection. And then, well, this is again going through what you would, if you go into a specific collection, for instance, homeless paintings of the Italian Renaissance, you would see a lot of content about the collection sort of to thematize what the, what, what the importance of the collection is. And those would take the, the form of the very content that we're generating through the spotlight. So just like an interaction there. Or you could move through this uh, other visualization, which is like the data visualization. Um, sort of see a menu of what are, are the fields available to you to browse through, let's say, the subject, which is subjects depicted, the topics, location title, et cetera, et cetera. See, get a glimpse at the original record in the original format. And from then sort of move on to more interesting visualizations. This is, uh, this is like a list of you want me to go? Yeah. yeah. This is like a list of the topics. This is a partial list of all the topics you can browse through and sing the next one. It's actually an actual screenshot of 
this is a this is a tree map visualization showing um, all the different subjects represented. So if you see all the way to the right, there's like a big blue box that's basically 5,000 pictures representing Jesus uh, versus I don't know San Bartholomew, which is <laughs> around there somewhere. And as you can see, at this point, the the whole interface would start working more as a as an application, not so much as a browsing like like a composing tool. So you can add what you're seeing, sort of save it in, in your private collections, save it to your sort of private library of sorts. You keep going. So you would then refine your selection of records uh, until you get like a size of a collection, and then you would go to the record itself, which again, you would need a series of um, interface to navigate, say for instance, the different surrogates of that record that are made available that you can see in the lower lower left, or the original record, or important information about it, and then you, again, annotate it somehow, and uh, expand it with outside information, and so on and so on. And, and at this level, we're designing into the platform a mechanism for user-based contributions in the forms of annotations and tagging to be promoted to the standard tagging data for objects. So the idea is to have some kind of filtration mechanism, so it isn't all sort of yeah. user-added uh, content that uh, becomes part of the core record. But we do very much see this as an opportunity to process collections that are otherwise either unprocessable or unlikely to be processed by adding value to the to the um, basic metadata. Um, We're going to identify like small mistakes. So we we right. identified a few. <laughs> so this is sort of showing the other um, the flip side of that uh, visualization, you would get like your own personal uh, sort of library where you can work and then go into, we would provide authoring tools so you could uh, put the next, I don't know, write kind of like blog authoring, but using this library of, uh, of records from Curarium. I think if you go two more, yes. This is sort of like the, it would be like the general scheme of how we're planning it right now. So you would have a, an area where there's like the most more public phase and a, an area where you would sort of start researching into this collection and then you sort of your personal library of objects with which you're working and that you can make available to the public or not. And just, just to underscore the distinction there seemed to us important for purposes of making sure that this was a platform friendly for people who are teaching or who are doing their own research. So, you know, there might be moments where you want to expose uh, some of the work that you're doing, um, but to, to leave the user communities in control, in other words, of the degrees of visibility of the work that's being carried on within the platform. Um, so uh, the spotlighting process, even that has controls over it that allows people to use the spotlight as an assignment, like a classroom assignment or a group assignment, um, but to promote that into the public area at a mature phase of the development of that work. So I think, you know, what's up next um, involves um, some events and, and workshops to, to work with different cohorts of people, um, domain experts, um, you know, collections managers, technologists in collections contexts, um, to discuss different, to discuss these affordances, to refine them, um, to discuss applications of this platform. Uh, there's a course that's planned where, you know, we hope to, to sort of work through and experiment with these affordances in the teaching context. 
Um, and we're discussing um, the, the application of this platform to other specific collections right now, and that's going to be an ongoing process of, of looking for collections to bring into association with each other um, through this platform. Um, and, you know, finally, I think we're, we're um, interested to, to know what, what you make of this and what, and what kind of um, associations and, and questions it's, it stirs in you as well. I think we're particularly interested here in, in knowing, you know, what, you know, how you think this kind of um, engagement with a collection um, lands in, 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 uh, in network contexts. Uh, when we're dealing with with open resources um, across institutions, um, with with very with you know, very different kinds of user communities, um, how, how do we bring these things into fruitful and productive association with each other? Um, and I, I think at that point we we'll, we can mm -hmm. take take questions. Yeah, absolutely. David, so I'm going to ask the most boring question. Get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, this looks fantastic. That wasn't a question. Though. <laughs> We're not bored at all yet. <laughs> um, what are your plans for making the collections, the, um, the enhancements, uh, and the collection itself as an object, really interesting metadata, uh, making that interoperable? Will there be an API, or are you going to support whatever standard ways there are of representing collections? And the sort of second part, uh, which is, this looks like it might be a really good linked data application. The sort of data that you're collecting is going to be rich, and lots of new associations can be made. So it sort of calls out for linked data. Are you looking at that for a back end? Harvard actually really could use, more, seriously, more work in uh, linked data. So this might be a really great application for it. I mean, I think that you know, in the first instance, um, you know, this is this is born as a project that is making use of um, data that collections are are making available to us through their own APIs. So. We're we're sort of playing with the question of when, once that once those data are available, what can we do with it? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the the data that we're ingesting is JSON data. That's that's either somebody is is producing for us or ultimately uh, will be available through APIs. Now, um, you know the the broader question of of the extent to which we're able to share the data that we gather. Um, I think that's a question that we need to, to explore and 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 you know explore with the kind of prejudice that we want this data to be open we want we want an API um, because ultimately you know some of the some of the use cases that we're discussing here involve um, changes to those data um, that that this, this 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 platform will will grow data yeah. and those data would be would be definitely worth sharing yeah. Together and says this is an interesting collection, and here's here's a story, a spotlight behind yeah. it. That's really right. useful, rich data. Yep. Wonderful to be able to get that back into the library ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, yeah, yeah. We totally agree. And I mean, this has been a, a kind of strategic challenge for us to try to decide: do we, for instance, want to host? Uh, collections, or do we just want to link to uh, collections that are hosted elsewhere? Um, and that, of course, is very much connected to the question, larger question you're you're, you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, you know, that's we we need we need to talk. Yeah. Following on that thread, the question of whether you host collections or not is kind of separate from the question of whether you expose the data that you created in your system. Yeah. Even if you don't host any of the data that you've ingested, right. you can still make the stuff available True. through an API um, yeah. that, that you're creating. And in general, I think it's very um, uh, attractive to take the sort of easy way out of using the data that you have uh, internally. 
you might want to consider taking a leaf from Jeff Bezos at Amazon. Um, if you really want your APIs to be good APIs, you could write your own tools to not rely on having their data, but use your create APIs to the data that is being collected on your system and mm -hmm. access your mm -hmm. data through those APIs, mm -hmm. which will sort of guarantee that right. everybody else can do so as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great suggestion, yeah. actually, yeah. 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 I have one question about licensing as well, because yes. I've just been looking at the, the source from a month ago, and license isn't in there as a field of tracking IP of these things, and that becomes a very big issue to address early on in building a platform that can be reusable. But actually, the question I wanted to ask was more to what extent do you think the platform is the more important part or the community building is the more important part? Because things like Galaxy Zoo and others do a lot of community building. They yeah. give people incentives. People mm -hmm. mysteriously do want to transcribe ancient Greek <laughs> even though they can't read it, partly because they're part of a community that's doing that. And, and I wonder what you've thought about the incentive structures that get people to curate on this platform right. rather than where they're already doing it. So I've searched for... Um, Renaissance art on Pinterest, and there's some amazing boards where people are yeah. already curating mm -hmm. in their own spaces. What gets them to in a way that gives you the structured data you yeah. want? Yeah. Well, I think the, the community building is an important, a hugely important piece to us, uh, and I think we're going to spend a lot of time and attention on that question. You know, some of the events that we're planning for the next few months as we're still um, cobbling this together are certainly, um, you know, have as their kind of cheap desideratum building community and engaging with people and also and learning what it is that people want to do with this kind of resource and and um, and changing course reflective of, of what of what we learn from uh, from folks but I, I think we also um, you know need to do some broader research about how those folks on Pinterest get engaged in this kind of platform as well um, uh, so it's 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 enormously important. Yeah, us. yeah. I mean, that's been um, one of the the key focal points, even in the process of um, of you know sort of architecting the platform itself. Um, we're th we've been thinking quite a bit. One of the reasons that the spotlight as classroom was important to us is we think that collections based teaching is one of those domains where, for instance, MOOC based models might actually have some rich possibilities that are pretty much unexamined or barely used, barely topped up to this point. Uh, that's one opportunity, but uh, also more broadly, um, the kinds of collections that we're likely to feature, like the homeless paintings collections, which are not of canonical objects, those are, you know, those are what you what are featured mostly on the Pinterest boards, you know, uh, objects that are in museum collections, that are featured, that are, that, and, you know, there's a lot at stake in that, of like expanding the, the sort of scope of the kind of conversation that happens around areas of cultural history and social history. Um, and and so um, that is a huge uh, concern for us. And so we, we have been essentially just beginning at this point because we're, we're just about to sort of open up the door and let people in and to play around with the platform, uh, trying to get especially younger art historians who are teaching courses, like canonical courses of Italian Renaissance art history, other kinds of historians who are interested in using these corpora to tell stories that have nothing to do with art history. They might have to do with the history of materials or uh, interior design circa 1400, or, you know, there's a, a lot of stories. Or the history of photography. Uh, I think Matthew alluded to this. This collection is really interesting. It's Berenson had this idea, which at the time was a, a relatively avant-garde idea, that photography was somehow an important medium for the discipline of the study of uh, the history of art. Uh, and this collection includes 
it, it is a, a kind of uh, pretty much uninterrupted slice of the history of studio photography practice in the representation of two-dimensional artworks, going back to glass, you know, basically glass slides, including formats that are very rarely found. In other words, obviously specialized cameras that were devised to represent these very large objects in some cases. I mean, so there's just so many different stories there. And to so this is a big challenge for us, but we, we think that there's some real reasons to believe that there's a real area of opportunity, especially around education uh, in, the, in the humanities for by um, opening up this space for collections-based teaching. Eric? So the, the concept of the spotlight, I think, is really powerful, um, both on the classroom level and then on the, the individual level. And, and I wonder to what extent that can be used to tell the story of the individual object. So for instance, um, an object might have been might have been used in say 200 different spotlights in different ways. And when you dig into a particular object to understand how it's been used by whom and for what reason, um, might tell a, a different kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 as I see it, I mean I see the spotlight as the that's that's what you make in this, right. whether you're exactly. a teacher or a student. Yeah. And so to have that power to make one of these things and then to um, to connect it to other people who have made similar things, and then ultimately to be able to export it, which I think is connected to some of what other people were yeah. saying. Yeah. But I just wonder to what extent, when you get to that level, can you then sort of move out again to, mm-hmm. to tell the history of interconnection of spotlights? Have you thought about that? It's a, it's a great question. I yeah. mean, I think that, um, and I think that it, it thinking about it also entails thinking about some of these questions that others have asked about the accessibility of the, the mm-hmm. data that. Um, are associated with that activity, and and these are crucial um, questions for yeah. us to, to face. And I think some of the um, the richness of that prospect um, is perhaps addressed to a certain extent by expectations we have for managing um, spotlights in the context. I and mean, we're thinking in, in primarily in in the context of classroom in teaching, classroom or or or. Um, network teaching, um, and thinking about the ways in which, as an educator, you might want to uh, capture and reflect on the, um, the kind of authorial impulses or the curatorial impulses um, of, your, of your students. Um, and those are affordances that we're, that we're building in on the back end, um, which probably need to, to be exposed, yeah. probably need to be thought about um, and tuned for um, the kind of richness that your, your question mm-hmm. indicates. Yes. To what extent are you um, thinking differently than the, the basic digital library? Or are you thinking of this as essentially a digital library and all of those, you know, mm-hmm. all the all the, you know, history of digital library, mm-hmm. uh, you know, information retrieval and navigation and right. you know, standard approaches and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know there's probably a kind of textual, a technical question, a technical technical side to that question. Excuse me, and uh, and 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 a broader kind of institutional or or pedagogical or or design question, really. And on the on the design side, I think what's what's crucial about this approach is the um, provision for all of these kinds of activities in the platform for using the the. Um, the objects that are organized by this platform, um, associating them with each other, 
uh, annotating them um, and and developing a, a, a platform that not only allows one to do those things as a user of it, but also um, allows for reflection on that on that activity um, and captures that activity. Um, I think you know typically we you know we we have wonderful access through through many digital platforms to resources, and that's something that's continuing to to grow all the time. Um, uh, our our ability as users, uh, as technologists, as 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 scholars to um, to glean information about how people use that material is something that we we'd really like to address with this platform and to allow this kind of authoring to kind of bring to to bring some of the affordances of um you know a content management system or a blogging tool um, into an integrated it integrated with the the collection management side of this. Um, so instead of getting a, a, a list of search results, um, which you might be able to export to a commercial product like EndNote or something like that, um, we want in the platform ways to, to do new things, to do novel things with these objects, um, to share those novel um, collocations of objects with an audience, um, and, and, and to capture that activity so that others can, can learn from it as well. Um, and, and if I could add um, one some point that maybe we didn't specify uh, at length is that the annotation process uh, includes bringing objects in from outside of the platform environment. So uh, the link is, I mean, this comes back to the point that was being brought up in the earlier conversation. I mean, our expectation, this is not just about working inside. It's also a, a kind of porous platform that allows people to work outside and to see other kinds of collections and resources and construct stories, meaning if, meanings, if you like, out of those sets of relations. Uh, um, and, yeah, and I would just underscore what Matthew was just saying about, you know, this is a kind of user-centered environment. Even the aggregate views of collections are, are completely tunable. We have a very flat data structure, which means that um, some of those visualizations, like tree diagrams and others, are going to work really well with the way the data is structured in certain collections. And in other cases, they're not going to work at all. So you can go in there and tweak the, t the term. So if you are interested in the history of the use of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, zinc oxide in pigments, uh, uh, you can look at the map of a collection. That's not something you can query. In other words, we're not using a kind of traditional uh, digital library data structure, with, which has very clear hierarchies uh, uh, in terms of the way you discover uh, a record, uh, but rather a much more flexible structure that is much more user-centered. Um, and that user-centered uh, focus carries over then to the production of interpretations, meaning, annotations, and so forth. So, I mean, we see that as a different undertaking, even though it's complementary, certainly, to features of a traditional digital library. Yeah, Luca? Uh, yeah, no, it's connected to what you're saying. That, uh, yeah. I was wondering to what extent the users can also suggest changes to the data model. Mm -hmm. Because I've, I've been working for a while with Europeana, and, yeah. you know, one of the problems is that, you know, they have a very rigid data model, so they can't really describe, you know, for example, new kinds of artworks. Yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah, I was wondering if we have this flexibility here, by it seems Yeah. And, I mean, given the fact that the metadata uh, is... The, the idea is to create this sort of model that where there's a, a, a significant user contribution to the metadata uh, with some kind of control mechanism at the same time to try to find a proper 
balance uh, we should make all of the tools for looking at aggregate collections also flexible in ways that are not part of the sort of conventional digital library model. Yeah, exactly. It becomes it becomes challenging the more heterogeneous the, the collections we're interacting with. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that's a challenge we, you know, working with seventeen thousand black and white photographs <laughs> of rectos and versos. You know, it's a pretty small scale. So like the next step for us is going to be testing out some of our uh, what we built on larger collections we've been talking about maybe working with the fog to try try out sections of their collection to sort of scale up and see what happens with a level of complexity that's introduced with by much more heterogeneous collections but i think the tunability of this should allow maybe it will require a certain amount of expertise in terms of usage users but should allow you to go beyond well, that's what we hope <laughs> whatever impasses are created by um, the differences between collections you know uh, but yeah. looking yeah. down the road some years, I, I, I'm guessing, or you tell me what you see down the road, it, it feels to me like it's almost certainly going to be a bifurcated uh, universe of knowledge. Mm. We've got the, the traditional architecture of knowledge, and, and people have entered into this universe and used it to annotate and to spotlight. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you've got sort of the amateur curator whose, whose work is largely episodic and and um, and disorganized in that sense, unless there is some curator of curators who helps create an architecture of knowledge and organize this yeah. stuff, or is that un, un, is that unduly pessimistic? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. You know, I think I think some of these some of the some of the technically oriented questions early in the discussion um, point ways towards answering that, insofar as. Um, you know, if we can build systems through linked data, um, uh, and and the access to those data that allow allow us to develop platforms that are self-organizing to a certain extent, or tunably self-organizing, that allows us to interact with that algorithmic organization, yeah. um, then you know we begin to have a kind of hybrid. Um, space where we're neither, it's neither harmony nor chaos, um, but something in between the two. Um, uh, and, you know, um, you know, there are, there are wonderful initiatives. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Wikimedia does monuments is an it's incredible kind of, um, uh, crowd curatorial initiative, um, that's not only, um, you know, gone out, I mean, this is, uh, Encouraging people to document um, heritage um, sites in their own in their own neighbor in their own neighborhoods in their own cities, mm -hmm. um, share those through Wikimedia, um, and and you know that makes it possible not only for people to feel like they're part of a bar broader curatorial enterprise, but it also allows us because of the of the nature of Wikimedia to do the kind of algorithmic curatorial work that um, that these new tools are making possible. So it may not be all one thing or all the other, but but a kind of you know fruitful and 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 disorienting at the same time hybrid of those. So they're authoring tools here for the, for the curator's curator for the the meta curator. Yes, well that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's built into the architecture of right. the platform. Right. There right. is yeah. a so the the kind of at you know chief admin. Uh, at the top of the pyramid has under them uh, functions, admin functions vis-a-vis -vis specific collections because we're imagining that, you know, institutions that are, you know, collecting institutions uh, uh, will want to have some kind of 
sort of custodial control, essentially. Uh, and they may want to set specific parameters for the use of collections. There may be copyright issues. There may be a whole set of other issues that have to do with wanting to um, create certain modes of access, for, restrict others. So, yeah. yeah. So I've got, I've got Tim yeah. and then, and then yeah. Peter over here. Okay. Um, is there anything this won't do? <laughs> and I, I mean, that's actually, like, are there things that you guys have thought about that you think is clearly out of scope for this project? You know, in terms of this is what it is and this is what it is not? Right. Don't want right. To do well, we're not going to provide any tools for making animated GIFs. That's <laughs> <laughs> so far as I know. Right. You... Indeed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think. Well, yeah. I think in terms of the content creation platform, it's going to be a fairly rudimentary one. I mean, we're expecting people. We want to allow for the content that's produced inside it to be exportable. So, if people want to do, you know, much more complex uh, sorts of things with uh, that they have begun inside the platform that will be designed into it, but we don't want to become a kind of uh, high-level production platform for doing really cool slideshows, you know, uh, with all kinds of special effects. I mean, it's it's meant to be a pretty much a, a kind of get-down-to-business platform that will allow you to move stuff around, build little collections, annotate them, do things with them, and then if you need something more advanced than that, you're going to do that outside the platform. So that would definitely be in the not category. Um, I think the the area that where we on the contrary we would probably want to invest a lot of energy is this this notion of making visualizations of collections as aggregates a really powerful transformative tool and adding toggleable capabilities that would match the complexity and the heterogeneity of collections uh, is going to be a real challenge there but I think that's where we add value. So it's not so much the level of like the cool things you can do annotating an object. I mean, there again, I think it's going to be pretty, you know, plain vanilla. Um, I don't know. Do you? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's. Yeah. yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I think you know, with respect to the kinds of material, um, there's there that 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 uh, the platform can, can address the media types. We've certainly you know in conversation talked about um, a wide a spectrum of media that we really have to leave aside, not largely because it's not technically feasible to deal with, say, audio. And there are wonderful libraries for annotating audio that are available right now, but the design challenge of integrating some of those media with the media that we're dealing with right now, we'll need to mature to, to get to some of those other media. Yeah. Peter? Uh, image search. Um, I thought of it at first with your lost um, mm -hmm. uh, painting project, but to be able to, uh, to be able to search against shared shelf or the Frick Art Reference Library or European and see if these yeah. things are showing up. Yeah. But even in a broader sense, to see where these things are being used and the, and the stories that are being created um, around them. So I don't know if you've thought about incorporating you know, the, the Tenai or the Google Image Search or something like that into. Um, database right, right. as a way of linking out yeah. the rest of the network. No, I think it's a terrific suggestion. Um, it's something we haven't really actively thought about at this point, um, but but I think it would definitely, you know, that's something we could definitely look into. Um, uh, Chris Daly, our kind of super curator out, out in the world, uses Google Image yeah. Search a great deal. So <laughs> acknowledging that those affordances can be brought to bear on this yeah. kind of material, is, is it, it's, it's crucial and it's, it's really worth thinking about for no, sure. Definitely. I think, I think we have time for another yeah. question, maybe, Sam? 
One follow-up on, on your comment about medicuration. Uh, custodianship is not the same as medicuration. No. So people who own the collection might want to do something, but medicurators might be Chris. Chris could become a great medicurator for yeah, all the true. people who care about some subgenre of yeah, all parents and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I was coming back to someone's comment about what about the people who are curating things on Pinterest. And so I was just checking to see how much art curation there is on Pinterest. Uh, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm I think reflecting on what you showed, it looks like a lot of your work is going into a technical framework for a front end and a back end. But most of what you hope people will do is build a class experience or build a collection and spotlight experience. And I wonder how much you're thinking about whether that makes sense in the long term or even in the short term where you're trying to build a user base versus trying to do the same thing on top of an API or something like that. Where you say, okay, we're not going to have structured data, we won't have all these neat things, but then we also don't have to deal with ingestion. People are already wasting time duplicating effort, but they're re-uploading to Pinterest thousands of times. Um, there are 10,000 people who care about art who are there right now. What if you tried to build spotlight tools that just use that? I think it's a great idea. And some of the other projects that we're working on right now um, that are... Um, focused on a kind of set of uh, a suite of spotlight tools, as it were, some some uh, editorial tools for um, operating in, a, in in an environment of open media, associating those media with each other, and making new media out of them, um, will definitely um, have as their objective that um, that kind of use case. Um, building a, a a tool. There's a um, another project uh, that we're working on, the Japan Disaster Archive. Um, which is also, you know, starts as a kind of bespoke sub-collection of, of media that exist elsewhere. Um, and um, the affordances that are, are being developed right now in conjunction with a class are to allow students in that class and, and others, a, a wide population of others, um, uh, varying communities of others, to, to make things out of those media. Mm-hmm. And those are specifically working with with extant media that are available through APIs. Um, and I think, you know, bringing those uh, projects into association with this is, is really kind of a matter of time. Yeah. Um, uh, this, this emerges out of a, a contact, contact with a really specific collection, a collection that doesn't have an API, right. um, and, and finding ways to bring that to a wider um, user base are, are, you know, kind of core to, to, to the project, whether ultimately you know, we we provide the tools for um, obsolescing this this uh, um, or or participate in providing the tools for obsolescing this platform. I suppose remains to be seen. One more, one more. Yeah, go ahead. Well, this is actually sort of an answer to this question about sort of the Pinterest model and not worrying so much about the structuring of the data. I think you sort of answered your own question by pointing out that thousands of people are re-uploading. Uh, the same art over and over again. Uh, that's a tremendous amount of wasted energy that could be put to other use. The reason it's happening, I think, in part, is because of the non-availability of some standard uh, data about what's being uploaded. If you could start with what somebody has already uploaded and spend your energy adding to that instead of having to redo the first time, uh, you'd be much better off. And so I, I think that the structuring of the data is very important in order to support that. I mean, I upload yeah. stuff to my own... Yeah. Storage again and again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I could use some help. <laughs> I think we probably could as a community. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Unless there are any questions remaining, we can certainly take this up. Yeah. You said about standard data um, and um, varieties of vocabulary as well as language. Are you going to be working on that at all? Or are you going to kind of let that, let somebody else worry about that one? Well, this is, these are hugely important questions yeah. in these in in these um, projects that that involve the ingestion of you know heterogeneous data from many from many places. Yeah. The DPLA has really been fighting this. You know, Europeana as well. Um, at, at least at this at this juncture, the way in which we're managing these data kind of um, I think you know studiously avoids. Those questions, um, and and you know, we're experimenting with ways of bringing these data together. Um, that this is very kind of very poor way to put this, but that allow people to maybe try and do some of that work themselves. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it, I mean, I should note that it's already a problem with our co our collection of departure, which is was after all a collection of Italian Renaissance uh, homeless uh, Italian Renaissance objects, where the tags. I mean, one of the first things we started seeing when we started playing with the, with the data sets is are all these artifacts of, uh, you know, sort of descriptive redundancy and uh, between Italian and uh, English, between, you know. Um, and uh, we're hoping to design the platform so that, as Matthew was hinting, that, you know, the communities of users have an ability to contribute to um, attacking some of those problems. Um, so that may apply also to the issue of languages. We're kind of interested. Uh, yeah. I just yeah. jump in. It, it, you know, kind of. You know, the, the scholarly work we do is often about those artifacts and what they tell us about the ways in which people have understood and experienced and interacted with these as cultural objects over time. Yeah. And so, um, you know, developing tools that allow us to see, that allow us to expose the, the problems and sort of confront those problems. Um, are, are kind of interesting to us in yeah. and of themselves. Um, yeah, they tell stories about institutions, about their collecting practices, about how certain kinds of taxonomical principles create these interesting contradictions. And so um, we're not just in, interested in solving those contradictions, but actually analyzing them as themselves a sort of cultural artifact, if you like, uh, a storyline in its own right. Um, um, but that isn't to say that we don't want the metadata to work better work. and be. You know. yeah, right. <laughs> so, so we have a, a bit of ambivalence around that question. <laughs> well, we can certainly, um, yeah. you know, continue to, to converse informally. Yeah. But um, thank yeah, you. Thanks thank a lot you all. for the. It's very helpful support. Yeah.